We hope you enjoy this message from St. Martin C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We are concluding our series called Generous Living. And it, we've been talking about how we use our money. And you might ask, why are we talking about money? Does the church have some financial goals that we're trying to hit? Uh, are we imminently going to have an appeal for something? And the answer is no. If that does happen, we'll be really upfront about it and we'll let you know before any of that happens. And we're not going to close the service this morning by singing Give It All and then passing the pots, all right? So just we can, we're chilling out. We're not doing this series because this is something we want from you. We're doing this because it's something we want for you. Do you know that one of the main things that Jesus spoke about was money? Not because he thought money was more important than anything else, but because he knew that often we think money is more important than anything else. It's Jesus' way of getting to people's hearts. So Warren has brilliantly outlined in the first couple of weeks that there is a love for money in each of us that needs to be surrendered or it will ensnare us. And then he talked about how money needs to be used wisely and prayerfully, considering how it can help the people around us. After all, relationships are more important than having a lot of money. Once there was a greedy rich man who hired a mathematician to make the greatest profit out of all of his money. The mathematician searched for a solution and after a few months appeared at the rich man's house one night and said, I've got it. I figured out how to get the greatest profit from all of your money. And the rich man said, fantastic. He said, but I'm quite busy. I'm heading away on holiday tomorrow, but I trust you. Enact your plan, and when I come back, I'd love to see what this profit looks like. The man went away. And then uh, the mathematician put into, plan, uh, put into play his plan. The man returned from his journey and found that all his possessions had been sold and his money was gone. He was furious. The mathematician, however, told him that the greatest profit he could gain was not in acquiring more and more money because there would never be enough, but actually in helping those who needed it in a way that most helped them. Disappointed and furious, the greedy man stormed off, desperate at having uh, lost everything to the harebrained schemes of a madman. However, while he was walking away disconsolately, several neighbours ran over, worried about him. All of them had been helped when the mathematician shared out the rich man's fortune. They felt so grateful to him that they offered him the hospitality of their houses and anything a special man like him might need. Over the next few days, he saw the full results of what the mathematician had calculated. Wherever he went, he was received with great honour and everyone was willing to help him in whatever way they could. He realised that his not having anything had given him so much more. His lonely life was filled with people. Seeing how he had helped others and learning to receive the help they gave him made him far richer than money alone could. See, the rich man thought that the end goal was the money. But he discovered that money is just a means to an end. Helping others and having good relationships with others are more important than our possessions, than our wealth, than our finances. That is why in this series, we're encouraging us to surrender our attitudes around money to God so that he can use it to achieve his ends. And a key way that we can do God's will in this area is to generously 
give our resources and our finances away. As we conclude our discussion on generous living, we need to discover how we can do generous giving. Pretty good, right? Generous living, okay. To help us reflect on this, I'm going to have a look at some verses from 2 Corinthians 8. And in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is talking to the people of Corinth about the way God calls Christians to be the most generous of all people. There is a special collection that he is taking up for the poor people in Jerusalem, and he wants to encourage them to give. And there's something about the way that he talks about this that I think we can emulate too. In this passage, we see three kinds of generosity, positive generosity that we can have in our lives. Free generosity, generous generosity, and helpful generosity. Free generosity, generous generosity, and helpful generosity. Let's look at each of these in turn. First one, free generosity. So Paul was uh, collecting this special offering. This was an offering that had begun a year or two previous in Corinth, but that actually stopped giving to it. He speaks of the special grace that God has given, not just to them, but actually to some other churches, the churches in Macedonia, places like Philippi and Thessalonica. Yet the Macedonians uh, had not stopped giving, even though they didn't have so much. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 3. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. What an inspiration. Theirs was a free gift, even though they were very poor. They were rich in generosity. Part of their generosity was seen in the willingness with which they gave. See, free generosity is a generosity that is done wisely, not out of guilt or compulsion, but from a free heart that overflows towards others. Verse 7 says this, You must each decide in your heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. Don't give in response to pressure. Instead, uh, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Been to a few Christian conferences in my time, and some of the ones that I've been to, the giving talk is longer than the sermon. Have you ever been to one of those where it just seems like the giving talk kind of has got the pride of place over the sermon? Sometimes they use scripture to convince me to give to their conference, often verses here from 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. And usually, this is a conference I pay to be at anyway. They use these verses and they pile the pressure. They seem to have this overtone, undertone of, if you've really given your whole life to Christ, then you'll give to our cause. I'm left with a sense of obligation to give and guilt that maybe I haven't quite given enough. I remember one of these ones, they actually bought a trailer out because they said, we're not giving small offerings today, we're giving big, giant offerings and so don't just put in a few coins, you know, you've got to put in a whole lot. And like, oh gosh, the pressure. And I have seen people actually in those conferences who give so much that they get to the last day of the conference and they don't even have enough money for food. And I think that's not the picture that Paul is painting. Instead, he is showing that our generosity is a voluntary act that we undertake. Whatever we do, we need to make sure it is the gift of a free heart, given willingly, 
without compulsion. Anything else will lead to resentment. It will lead to bondage in our hearts and lives. But if you give to things because you see the need and you see how you can bless others, then generosity becomes an amazing joy in your life. I think if Paul was in the crowd for some of these conferences, he would probably be having some quiet and maybe at times not so quiet words with the organizers and he'd be saying, no, no, guys, you're overdoing it. You've got it wrong. You're going too far. He'd say words like uh, 2 Corinthians 8 verse 12. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Verse 14. Right now you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way things will be equal. See what he says there? He says, don't give according to what you don't have. Don't make your generosity something that's going to hurt you or hurt your family. That's, that's not Christian generosity. Free generosity is generosity we can give willingly, knowing that we have the space for it. He says something similar in 1 Timothy 5, 8 about caring for the widows in the church. He said, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. Our our generosity should never be something that puts a burden upon us or our families, but it should be something that we can do wisely. Our free generosity doesn't come at the expense of the people in our own household. Look after your family first and determine what you can cheerfully, willingly and freely give. And I think to do this, you need to be uh, well-planned And if I can give you something from, from, I guess, the King's Playbook of how we choose to do this. For us, we set aside a certain amount of money each month for generosity. That way we know we have money there. If a need comes, if someone says this thing is going on, we know that we have capacity to give it. And then we know we can do it without it being a burden on the rest of our, our finances. And we can do that freely and willingly and easily. See, the truth is we need to make space in all areas of our life to do the will of God. Space in our time, space in our head, space in our resources, so that when God asks us to do a bit more, we have margin. It's true of every area, and we're going to explore that more in August in our mission month. But we need to create that space in our generosity. So these people, firstly, they had a free generosity. And secondly, they had a generous uh, generosity. And that might sound like, well, it's just the same word twice. But Paul reflects on what they did. And they didn't use their freedom as an excuse for stinginess. But they gave of themselves with an abundant heart. Let's read verse 3 again and verse 4. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They were so filled with generosity, they even called it a privilege to give. Isn't that a generous heart? 
so different from our world. When was the last time we begged to give more? When was the last time we prayed, Dear God, what I really want from you right now is more to give. Give me a, something to give to. That's, that's what I want. I'm pleading with you, God. I'm desperate to give more. It's outrageous stuff, really, especially in our world where we have so many options for our time, our energy, and our money. And it's all geared to work towards making life better and easier for us. If I'm honest, my prayers are usually, God, give to me. Bless me. Heal me. Forgive me. Change me. Help me. Then when I do give, I want God to recognize my generosity. Okay, God, look, I gave a little bit to that person. Surely you're going to give a lot back to me now. But my generosity is nothing compared to these people in Corinth and nothing compared to God's. Think of God's generosity to us. He gave us everything. Verse 9, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. What a generous God we serve. It's what he did for us. He's the example of the over-the-top way we can bless others. And that means when we do give, we look for ways to give things of value. When we were first married, we lived overseas and we had far less than we did today. We moved into a new home. and Some people were amazingly generous. The new stuff they gave us lasted for years. Uh, the time they poured into helping us will never be forgotten. We even had a one person who gave us an entire house full of gear. It wasn't new, but it was still good quality. And man, it made a massive difference to our lives. Then we had some others give to us in a way that was probably a little more underwhelming. I know they say beggars can't be choosers, but on behalf of a, a bigger at times, I, sometimes you can't be a bit of a, a chooser. Uh, what they did is they would go, hey, look, here you go. We gave you some, some food. There's food from our pantry. We thought you'd appreciate it. And we looked at this food, and, and some of it was out of date. Some of it had actually been opened and half used. Some of it was like an old tin of lentils. Uh, let me tell you, if you want to give a gift that, ble uh, that blesses somebody else, don't give them a tin of lentils. It was food that they were basically ready to throw out. If you want to bless someone, give them something of a bit more value. As one person once said, you can never love without giving, but you can easily give without loving. I've heard that this is a big problem in gear that gets sent overseas. People go, hey, let's fill a container. We're going to send it to a poor community. And everyone gives their cast-offs the things that are slightly broken, and they go, well, you know, they'll be grateful for it. And people get these things and go, well, is that what we mean? There's an opportunity whenever we give to give something of value. As we've said, this does not mean giving more than you have the capacity to give. But it does mean that we look for the gifts that will make the most profound impact. And those are the gifts from a generous heart. And I find... There can be an issue sometimes with our giving. Uh, I know that there are a number of people who choose to give to the church 
And by the way, we're not talking about tithing in this series, but there have been a few people who have asked what our viewpoint on that is, sort of theologically. So in the notes this week, you'll see that there is a day there, you can read it later, on tithing, just to give you a perspective of where we stand as a church. But many of us choose to give to the church through automatic payment. However, there can be an issue with this, and I think the issue is that we don't have a physical moment where we give our money. We don't have a moment of worship, and it can become just another transaction. We pay our insurance, we pay our mortgage, we put our money into KiwiSaver, we pay our tithe. It just becomes another thing, and we don't even notice it. So every now and then, I want to encourage us to stop and reflect on it and say, God, we give whatever we give. We give this as worship to you. May it be a generous gift from a grateful heart. And that's the key to our giving. All of it should be from our heart. That is what generous generosity is all about. It's giving from our heart. Generosity, as a result, needs to be far more than the money. As we give to others, we can look for ways to combine it with other gifts. Gifts of maybe a word of encouragement. Gifts of of time, which is, for many of us, far more costly than money is. Look for ways to make it meaningful for the recipient. There are definitely other ways that you can choose to give to people. We need a generosity that is free. We need a generosity that is generous. And finally, we need a generosity that will actually help other people. Helpful generosity. Paul concludes his encouragement to give by saying this, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 11 to 13. He says, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. There's something about our generosity that God does honor. And then he says this, and when we take your gifts to those who need them, we will thank, they will thank God. So two good things will result from this ministry of giving. The needs of the believers in Jerusalem will be met, and they will joyfully express their thanks to God. And as a result of your ministry, they will give glory to God. For your generosity to them and to all believers will prove that you are obedient to the good news of Christ. See, Paul had a close and personal connection with the people in Jerusalem. As a result, he knew what they most needed, and he was going to take the gift to them and ensure that it was used effectively. Do you see the emphasis here, not just on us as the giver, but on the joy of the recipient, on on the way the recipient actually met the needs of the people that they were giving to? Being generous is not just about us, but it's ensuring the gift is focused on the receiver. Here's something for you to think about this morning. The value of a a gift, the value of any gift, think about Christmas presents, think about anniversary presents, think about a gift that you're giving to those in other countries. The value of the gift is how much it helps the recipient, not how much it costs the giver. Let me say that again so you can digest it. The value of the gift is how much it helps the recipient, not how much it costs the giver. And so what we need to make sure that we're always doing when we're giving 
is looking for the ways we can give that meets the person's deepest needs the most. Our mission team has spent some time wrestling with this principle. We work very hard to ensure that the ways we help and support our mission partners are most effectively meeting their needs. A book that has guided us on this journey and is a good book to put on your reading list is called When Helping Hurts. And many of our mission team have read that, as well as another book called Toxic Charity, Toxic Charity, uh, which apparently is also a good book. I haven't got around to reading that one yet. Sorry, team. I'll get there. But I have read When Helping Hurts, and, and it is profoundly good. Its premise is that we need to ensure our giving meets the deep needs of those we're, we're trying to help and doesn't just try and do away with the symptoms of the people to whom we are giving. Here's what they say. We've got a quote we can put up on the screen here. It says, By focusing on symptoms rather than on the underlying disease, we are often hurting the very people we are trying to help. When we take a surface approach and just go, here's something I can give, and we don't really see the underlying needs, then actually we cause more harm than good. The symptom is often people's material wealth, but the cause, the underlying disease, is much deeper. They, as part of this book, surveyed people from foreign nations and showed that their way of thinking about poverty is very different than what we might think. They say this, poor people typically talk in other countries in terms of shame, inferiority, Powerlessness, humiliation, fear, hopelessness, depression, social isolation, and voicelessness. And so they say, well, what happens if you just give a monetary gift? Well, maybe you actually perpetuate some of those ways that people think. They still think they're inferior because they can't provide for themselves. They still have a sense of powerlessness. There's some humiliation there. You haven't solved their fear and their their helplessness. So if we give money to those people who have these deeper poverty needs, we end up taking away power from them, keeping them feeling inferior. We've misdiagnosed the illness, and the medicine we give while intended to help actually ends up hurting them. And if we think about what God has done for us, we see that Jesus came to do far more than just meet our very uh, present needs. He came to do deeper things. Luke 4, what did Jesus come to do? He stands up in the temple one day and the scroll of the prophet, was Isaiah, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he puts the scroll down and says, today in your presence the scripture has been fulfilled because that's exactly why Jesus came. He came to give us much more than just, hey, a ticket to heaven. He came to free us from the deep needs of our, our lives and to bring some power back to us that we might transform the world around us. Jesus healed all of our hurts and all of our needs. And it's the whole person healing that generosity is committed to. That is why we need to ensure our generosity is is one that 
uh, does more than just fills an outward need. We've well, got to be really wise in this. Here's an example they use in their book. Uh, and you might agree with this and you might disagree, but have a think about this. Consider the familiar case of the person who comes to your church asking for help with paying an electric bill. On the surface, it appears that this person's problem is a lack of material resources. Many churches respond by giving this person enough money to pay the electric bill. But what if the person's fundamental problem is not having the self-discipline to keep a stable job? Simply giving this person money is treating the symptoms rather than the underlying disease and will enable him to continue with his lack of self-discipline. In this case, the gift of money does more harm than good. And it would be better not to do anything at all than to give this handout, really. Instead, a better and far more costly solution would be for your church to develop a relationship with this person. A relationship that says, we are here to walk with you and to help you use your gifts and abilities to avoid being in this situation in the future. Let us into your life and let us work with you to determine the reason you are in this predicament. Do you see the difference between the two approaches? And you might have something in you that resists that idea, but you must admit it's an interesting thing to think about. What is definitely clear is we can't just throw money at a problem and hope that it will help. And this is a huge topic, and I've only scratched the surface on it. If you want to go deeper, uh, you need to, to read the book or maybe chat to one of our mission team who've been wrestling with this for a little while. Uh, generosity asks the question, what is the real need here? And can it be, how can it best be met? This takes amazing wisdom and prayer at times. But it always starts with relationship. If you want to do really good generosity, you need to really dig into relationship with people, asking lots of great questions to determine what is the best way that I can be generous in this moment. Archie Coates says, the church is called to be a blessing machine. We are to bless everyone in every way we can. Freely we have received and now freely we give, generously and in a way that most helps others. I know this is a generous church. I've seen it over and over again. I commend you for your uh, generosity of time, of resources, of finances. And so as we close this series, what do we want for you? As you do your generosity, do it with freedom. As you do your generosity, make sure it's generous. As you do your generosity, make sure that it is done in a way that helps and does not harm others. Now, I'm aware that it's easy enough to talk about this abstractly, but let me ask you, where is God challenging you to be more generous at the moment? A pastor had a farmer friend in his congregation, and they were talking over the fence one day. The pastor asked the farmer, Abe, if you had 100 horses, would you give me 50 for the work of God? Abe said, certainly. The pastor asked, if you had 100 cows, would you give me 50? Abe said, yeah, of course. And the pastor said, if you had two pigs, would you give me one? Abe said, now cut that out, pastor. You know I have two pigs. <laughs> Generosity sounds good in theory. Many Christians picture giving themselves away half their inheritance. Fewer, it seems, could part with just one pig. 
with just one thing that they currently have. So what is God putting his finger on for you today? What does it look like as we look at generous living and generous giving to be more generous in our lives? Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.